Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor David Hall, Senior Pastor of LifePoint Church. For more information, visit our website on www.davidhall.com.au. Amen. I read a letter uh, that I thought was quite funny, so I thought I'd read it to you. It says this, and, and uh, basically a father-in-law was uh, pretty unhappy that his daughter had chosen to marry this guy called Marty. So, but, but obviously he had a change of heart, and I want to read this letter. It says, Dear Marty, I've been unable to sleep since I broke off your engagement to my daughter. Will you please forgive me and forget? I was much too sensitive about your mohawk haircut, tattoos, and pierced nose. I now realize motorcycles aren't really that dangerous, and I really should not have reacted to the way... Sorry, reacted that way to the fact that you've never held a job. I'm also very sure that some of the other very nice people that live under the bridge in the park are good people, and and I know that you love them. Sure, my daughter is only 18 and wants to marry you instead of going off to Harvard on full scholarship. After all, you can't learn everything about life from books. I sometimes forget how backward I can be. I was wrong. I was a fool. I've now come to my senses. And you now have my full blessing to marry my daughter sincerely, your future father-in-law. P.S. Congrats on winning the lottery. (laughs) Clearly the father-in-law's motives could be called into question. I want to speak this morning on develop godly motivation. Having godly motives. Having motives that are pure and righteous and and that are about the kingdom of God and the, and, and, and the will of God and the purpose of God for our life. Because there's nothing more worrying to me than somebody that does things with ill motives. It's amazing the things you can get away with. Motives are a funny thing, see, because if you have, uh, if you have impure motives, I mean, people can see that and people can sense that. And it's amazing what you can get away with when you've got pure motives. I mean, you, pure motives can get you out of all kinds of trouble because you might totally mess up and somebody go, yeah, but your heart's in the right place and, and your heart's good. And so it's amazing how much grace is extended to somebody that has pure motives. I don't always get it right, but I like to think that the motives in my heart are pure. And I believe sometimes uh, uh, God and people see that sometimes more than the actions that we, that we even do because God looks on our heart, you see. And so I want to have a look today in the book of First Kings the book of 1 Kings, chapter 5. And now that you've turned to 1 Kings, chapter 5, I'll, I'll also get you to turn to 2 Kings, chapter 5, because that's actually where the message is being preached from. I just want to make sure you had both still in your Bible there. It's all good. It was touch and go there for a minute. Right now, we're just at the end of a story where uh, the great Syrian general, Naaman, has uh, been healed of leprosy, and he ha- has to dip in the river... Uh, the river Jordan seven times to get healed. And, and in verse 14, it says, So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. It was one of the great miracles in the word of God. And he returned to the man of God. This is Elisha. Naaman returned to Elisha. He and all his aides and came and stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. So in other words, Naaman wants to now give Elisha a gift for the miracle that he's received. And 
I love this. Elijah's response is in verse 16. As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And then it goes on in verse 19. He basically they have a bit of an exchange. And then Elijah basically says to him, he says in verse 19, Go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. Now, look at verse 20. This is where the story changes. Verse 20, a man by the name of Gehazi, his PA, his right-hand man. The Bible says, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, look, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, is it well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me saying, indeed, just now, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver, two changes of garments. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and two chains of garments, handed them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand, stored them away from the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. So he went in, stood before his master. Elisha said to him, where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, your servant did not go anywhere. Then he said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep, oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever and forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous, as white as snow. Not a great day in the life of Gehazi. It's never good to run after something that God has never given you the authority, the blessing, or the purpose to run after it's very interesting to me in this story you have two motivations happening in this story Elijah's motivation is that he just wanted to see this man whole by the power of God he just wanted to see this guy restored by the power of the Holy Spirit and it's not because he was unwilling to receive he received many times in, in the word of God you'd seen miracles of provision flow out of his life but in this case for some reason, he did not want to partake of a gift, whether that was he didn't want to give the idea that you could buy a miracle or I don't know what the reason was. But what I do know is to keep the purity of that miracle, Elisha said, I don't want anything to do with uh, uh, any kind of remuneration for what God did. And so you look at this story and, and as a result of ill motivation, Gehazi starts looking at this from a whole different perspective. Deceit creeps into his heart, see? And the Bible says that he makes a decision, I'm going to run after this chariot. I'm going to run after Naaman. He made the decision to run after Naaman and, and, and receive that blessing that was never intended for him. And so when you have a look at Gehazi's motivation, it was the wrong motive. And then you see what started happening in his life. It's amazing. Wrong motives led him to do a couple of different things. It led him to firstly to doubt Elisha. Now in that case, Elisha was the prophet of God. He was the voice of God in people's lives. I really do believe that when our motives are impure, we stop hearing God. 
we start questioning God. We start going, hey, but one plus one should equal two. With God, one plus one can equal whatever God says it needs to equal. God is ultimately in control of all the affairs of our lives. And if he warns us against something, we have no business to run after it. Because by running after it, we're running after something that's not, that, that's not consecrated by God for us. And therefore, we can run after the wrong thing. And so he runs after something he was never meant to go after when a man of God said, hey, this is not something, surely as God lives, I refuse. And I want to say this to us today, we need to make sure that our motives are pure and we're not, you know, I see it in, in, in life, often godly people around somebody will say, hey, stay away from that relationship or be careful there. And it's amazing what a motive in somebody's heart can allow them to ignore when, when, when a voice of God, a voice of reason, a voice of integrity saying, hey, move away from that. But the motive in our heart, when that gets a bit corrupt, when that gets a little bit twisted or maybe it just gets a little bit... Uh, is the word disaligned a word? Let's just call it a word. When it's no longer aligned with the, with the purpose of God in our life, suddenly we find ourselves running after things we should never run after. Now, I love, the, I love this story because there's so, much, there's so much richness in it and there's redemption in it as well. But he doubted the voice of God. The second thing, and these aren't points, I'm just building an introduction. The, the, the other thing that he did was he made a decision. He said, I will run. I will run after that chariot, Gehazi said. What's that? That's, that, that's premeditated pursuit. Now, it's interesting. You know the story of the Shunammite woman, woman just a few chapters earlier. She has a son, miraculously, and that son dies. And, and, uh, and, and, and the Bible tells us how Elisha raised that son. And Gehazi and, and Elisha could tell that the mother of that child who had died was distressed. And Elisha had to say to Gehazi, run to her. Would you run to her? It's amazing how when there was money involved, he had it within himself. I need to run after that. But when there was trial and challenge and ministry to be done, he sat back and it was, he had to be told by the prophet, you need to run. Can I tell you, I, I want to be that person who predetermines in, come on somebody, who predetermines in my heart to run after the things that God has for me, not the things that I want for myself. There's been things that I've prayed for that I thank God that God never brought into my life. Aren't you glad he, that, that every prayer, I'm glad he answers a prayer according to his will and purpose in God. Because you can, you can want things that God doesn't necessarily want you to want. You can fall in love with the wrong person. You can be friends with the wrong person. You can get into a business partnership with the wrong person. And we can, we can follow motives in our own heart. And, and they might not be sinful in nature, in, in that you, you, you're not wanting the wrong thing because you're a bad person. But maybe our motives are just led by our own desires rather than being balanced with the desire of God for our life. And another thing that happened was Gehazi just began to lie. He began to lie to, to, to Elisha. He began to lie to Naaman. He took from the servants a gift that Naaman gave to him on false pretenses that he was to give to them, took it back. Then he lied to... The minute we have to start maybe just coloring in a little outside the lines when it comes to truth, to justify what we're doing. Maybe we need to look at the motives of our heart. Maybe we need to just say, Lord, just help me make sure that I'm walking in what you want rather than what I want. Do you believe that this morning? I'm not here to give anyone a hard time. I haven't woken up going, oh man, that's such and such. They've got bad motives. I'm going to preach to them. I've never, ever, ever used the pulpit as a chance to preach 
to one person in the life of the church. I don't really feel like that's a rampant issue in our church, people's motives. But I come to remind you that my motives I need to keep in check. My wife and I together, we need to make sure we're still motivated to build the kingdom of God. I pray that as a pastor, my motives will always be to bless this place, not see this place as a source of blessing for me. I don't ever want LifePoint Church to serve me or serve my wife. I believe God's called us to lay our lives down to serve this church. Do you know how many churches I've seen that started out so well that end up getting a bit messed up and challenged and infighting because the pastor changes from him serving them to suddenly this place exists to serve me and my ministry and my desires and my agenda. Can I tell you, I don't want LifePoint Church to, to make my name great in this city. I want to lay my life down along with you to make his name great in this city and see Jesus lifted up and glorified because he says, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to, our, to myself. And so he, he had a premeditated pursuit. He, he began to lie. Another thing is he took something he was never intended to have. He sought a reward for an act of God. Can I, can I tell you, if your motivation in, in, in the things of ministry, and the reason I talk about that is not because everybody's called to be pastors, but that's the world I live in. And so often my examples flow into that zone, but apply it to whatever area you serve in life. But the minute my job, the minute my ministry is about the accolades that I receive or the potential blessing that I can receive, again, it's now all upside down. Because this thing's all about him. Paul was shipwrecked. He was beaten. There was trial. There was challenge so he could fulfill the spreading of the gospel. And I, I want to remind us today that let's make sure our motives are all about him, all about what God wants, all about the will and the purpose of God for our life. And, and so he did something that God never intended him to have. Another thing that happened was he attracted something that he never wanted to attract. He never wanted leprosy. I'm fairly convinced about that. I, I can tell you, there's a few things I want. I don't really want leprosy. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a debilitating, dehumanizing, dignity-destroying disease. And, and this man had, the, had a great setup hanging with a man of God. Who knows? He could have been, if Elisha received a double portion from Elijah, how, how many know that maybe Gehazi was destined to have a double portion of what Elisha had? But instead, he began to look to the arm of the flesh and began to do things in his own strength rather than doing what he had seen his father in the faith do and his father's father in the faith do where they, they, they trusted God, man. They, they lived off empty pots being filled with supernatural oil or, or, or they lived by supernatural means. And can I tell you today, we've got to realize that this life of faith, we've got, we've got to do this by faith sometimes and trust that God's our supply, not our angling, not our, not our, not our positioning. God is the one who who does supernatural things. I don't want to. I don't want to get some kind of something, something in my life because I'm doing this in my own strength. I want what I'm doing to be built on the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and see victory in my world by the Holy Spirit. I want to show you another example of, of, of uh, warped motives here in the Word. We'll, we'll move through this quick. Let's have a look at Genesis 25. This is a story that a lot of you know, but it's quite powerful. Genesis 25. It sounds like I'm being negative this morning. We'll get all positive in about two minutes. But I just want to show you the significance of what wrong motives can actually do in somebody's life. Verse 29 of Genesis 25, it says, Now Jacob cooked a stew. Esau came in from the field and he was weary. Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. Now Jacob was a bit, a bit dodgy. He was a little bit of a deceiver. 
uh, played a few tricks. He did a bit of cloak and dagger, a little bit of smoke and mirrors, a little bit of bait and switch. Old Jacob, he was a shifty guy. Jacob was shifty. Now, now, now this, make no mistake about it. Jacob knew exactly what he was doing. You have two lots of motives going on here. Jacob would have cooked a stew. I bet, I bet that stew smelt like heaven, man. I bet when, when, when Esau got off work in the land, he was tired. He was, he was famished and, and whatever. This stew would have hit his nostrils and the wonder of heaven would have filled his soul. I don't know about you, but when you're hungry and you drive past, how many have ever driven past Kentucky Fried Chicken? You drive past and I don't know if they spray the smell of those chips into the very atmosphere that as you smell it you sense the glory and the wonder of heaven fill your soul you eat it you massacre those chips you devour those chips and if someone was here you'd look at them and say I'm not even sorry it's a good thing I did the right what what I'm trying to tell you today is is Jacob knew exactly what he was doing but he also knew that his brother had a vulnerability and his brother said, I'm going to trade my birthright. Now, we pretend we know what birthright is. Oh, yes, my birthright. His birthright was every bit of inheritance that was his by being the firstborn. I mean, this was, his, this was divinely his by God. And he still, he still said, you know what? I'm, I'm famished. I'm tired. I'm going to die. He wasn't going to die. He just had a hard day's work. I'm going to die. He says, he says, all right, well, you can have this stew. But give me everything that you're entitled to for the whole of your future, ever. Literally forever. And so it's like, it sounds like a good deal. Now, it must have been a good stew. As far, I don't really like stew. I think Esau's, to, to be honest, e- Esau's a bit of a moron. He's a moron. He let his hunger and his delusions multi- 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 multivate. It's a new word, motivation. <laughs> Motivated. I see it in church life where loneliness will motivate us to marry turkeys. <laughs> I've seen people, if they had just trusted God and not been so lonely and so quick. And I've seen those same mar- marriages end like that why because people people marry for the wrong reason you should never marry out of loneliness you should marry because you've got something to give and you're satisfied in who you are in God insecurity can motivate people to do different things I spoke for a youth pastor I did this guy's youth camp and I remember the night before the youth camp I spoke at an AOG pastors meeting and this is in another state and I remember being there and this guy drives me to the meeting and and the, and the son of the, 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 the district leader of the Assemblies of God got to do the offering that night. He did a great job. He's a cool kid, whatever. And I get in the car, and this youth pastor, he is angry and cranky. He's like seething. And, he's like, and I knew he wanted me to ask, so I wasn't going to ask. I was like, oh, what a great night. You look. He's like, this is like blowing fire out of his nostrils. And so finally he says, it's just typical, isn't it? I said, what? He goes, it's just typical. Why didn't they get me to do the offering tonight? And I said to him, are you serious? Is this why you're all angry? He goes, yep, should have been me. I said, how would your life be any different had you got to do the offering? Think about this. In this moment right now, if you had done the offering right now, your life would be so different, you wouldn't have to be carrying on like a twit. And so anyway, as time went on, he starts getting more and more. I start seeing this more and more. We do the youth camp and he goes, I can't stand these kids. I'm like, you're the youth pastor. 
I can't stand them, but I'm going to keep doing it because it's a stepping stone to the next thing. And I'm thinking, I pray to God that you never get to do the next thing because you're a crazy person. I mean, I, I won't tell too much because the podcast, people can join dots, but let's just say, bless the Lord. If you're listening, I'm glad you're not pastoring at the moment. It's good. So he ends up getting fired from his church. And he rings me up. I got fired. I said, this is probably a good thing. And he said, he said, why? I said, because you want ministry for you. Never once have you said to me, I want to lay down my life for these kids. You get around other people, they'll start telling you. You get around Layla, she'll tell you everything she's believing for. One of her kids could be healed of a blocked nose. She'll text the whole church. There's been a sinus miracle, glory to Jesus. Why? Totally different spirit. Why? Because one lays down their life for it. The other one thinks it's a stepping stone. To me, nothing's a stepping stone. You just do what God's called you to do. Are you with me this morning? Have I got any friends in the house? Insecurity made him want a job that he was never called to do because he never had the love to begin with. And then we see some people, they greed motivates them. Some people fear motivates them. You've got to be motivated by the right thing. Can I tell you, at five o'clock in the morning, if James wakes up, I'm not motivated to get out of bed. If you put a spider in that same bed, I'd be wide awake. I'd be up. I'd be ready to go. I'd be killing that spider. I'd be turning the bed upside down, washing the sheets. It's amazing how fear can motivate you. It's amazing how you can have... I mean, if, if you were being chased, how many know you'd run, that, you'd, you'd run the distance without getting tired? you just keep going. Fear has an amazing way to motivate people to do things that are, are superhuman. doesn't necessarily mean it's right. So what should we be motivated by? What should motivate our life? What should motivate our future? Let's have a, let's have a look at a few this morning and, uh, and then, we'll, then we'll get into prayer at the end and believe that God's going to do something. What, what should motivate us as Christians? Number one, number one, we should be motivated by the will of God. I remember I, I rang Pastor Andrew Evans and I said, now, Pastor Andrew, would you come? James had just been born. Would you come to the hospital and pray for James? Because I, I, I want... I want I love what's on people. I believe in the impartation of the power of God. So Pastor Andrew Evans comes in and prays for him. And I said, now this is what I need you to pray for, Pastor Andrew. He's going to be a great pastor and a great preacher. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm not praying for that. I was like, well, you are. Of course you don't. He goes, I'm not praying for that. I said, what are you praying for? That the will of God be done in his life. I was like, fair enough, whatever. So then I had to ring Pastor Keith to come in and pray to fix it. No, so Pastor Andrew holds him and he begins to pray and the glory of God fills that room and he said, God, use him. Cause him to win souls. I was like, yeah, fair enough, that'll, that'll do. Cause him to impact the kingdom of God. He couldn't help himself. By the end, James was a preacher anyway. And, and, but you know, I remember that, that's the whole thing. Often we can map out our own life. But what about the will of God? Do we, do we ever stop? Is this what God wants? Jesus said in the book of John, he said this in John 4, 34, he said, my food, my nourishment, the thing, that, the thing that nourishes my life, he said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent him. I, I, I can be honest with you, not always, it's not always that this is the space in my life, but I pray I get to a point where my nourishment, and, and largely it does. That my satisfaction comes from doing what God's called me to do. Now, the beautiful thing about Jesus is uh, he, he was quite resolute about this. When, when, when the devil tempts him for 40 days, 
He says, turn that, bread into a, uh, turn that stone into bread. Now, Jesus could have done it. Would it have been a sinful act for Jesus to turn stone into bread? Would you look, if Jesus turned stone into bread, we would say that's a miracle. Why would that have been a sin for Jesus to do that? He had to say, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every, but, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Why did Jesus not do that? Because to, to do that, although he had the power to do it, it's not wrong in and of itself. In fact, it makes sense. I know I would have. I would have probably turned a weed into a Mars bar. I would have, I would have done the whole thing. We would have been turning all sorts of things into all kinds of things. That chariot... Boom, it's going to be a nice little Ferrari for Pastor Dave. So, it's a good thing I'm not God. You should just thank God for that every day. You should thank God for that every day. Now, you'd all be blessed, though, if you came to Life Point. If you left, no. You, <laughs> no, I'm being naughty. Father, help me in Jesus' name. So, had he done those things, he would have violated the will of God because he said, my nourishment is to do the will of he who sent me. And so by fulfilling the will of God, it actually caused him to restrain himself from doing things that would not have even been sinful in and of themselves. But he never wanted to step outside of the will of God. I pray that I'd never use the power of God or the gift of God or the the anointing of God for anything other than the will and the purpose of God in my heart and my life. I pray the same for all of us today. Another, Another... Another thing that should motivate us is the benefit of other people, the needs of other people, blessing other people. Other people, we should be motivated about others, others focus. Philippians 4, Paul's receiving an offering. Philippians 4, 16, he says, For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And when he's talking about the offering, he says, Not that I seek the gift... But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus a thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And he says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Now to God and the Father be glory forever. Amen. He's receiving an offering. He says, not, not, not that it's about what I get. He said, I'm actually preaching this word because it's about what happens in your life. Even in his own need, he was others-focused. And as a, as a church, as a Christian, as a person who follows Christ, I pray that my life would be others-focused. I remember getting on a plane in the United States. I can't remember if you were with me, Joel. I feel like you were, and if it wasn't you, it might have been Dan, but I feel like one of you were on this trip, and there was a first-class ticket holder, and then there was a returned soldier from Iraq. And the guy who had the first class ticket gives his ticket to the returned soldier and, and, and the soldier got to sit in first class and, and the guy who had paid for the seat goes back and sits in economy. And I remember the captain said, I've been flying planes for 30 years or whatever he said. He said, I've never seen that happen before. Can I tell you, I like to be a generous person by nature. And when I heard that, I didn't even really realize that that, that was the case. But I thought, man, I wish, I, I wish that was me. I was already in economy, so I, could, I couldn't have done it if I wanted to. I love seeing blessing for other people. I don't cry much, much watching TV. I cried during the Hey Hey It's Saturday finale back in 99. I was grieved. How many, uh, who, who saw that? That was moved. It was moving, moving. And then... If I watch Undercover Boss and I watch at the end all the nice things that, that he, and they always pick the sweet person that's 
just committed to the job and there's not a lot else going on in their life and then they said we're going to pay for you to go to college and I sit there and I don't like to cry in front of Donna because I've got to keep up like this legend that I'm strong but you get that lump in your throat have you ever had that lump where you know if you don't swallow it water's going to just start coming out of your head it's just a lump of if you're visiting today I apologise but here's the, de- here's the deal There's something about seeing blessing come to others. Generosity is a total evidence that you've been born again. Because human nature, it doesn't walk in generosity. Human nature stores, withholds, but a Christian nature is generous. And I pray that as as a church, as the people of God, not, not, not so it blesses our account, but so we can see all of the people in our world grow and be better off and, and see the goodness of God. My prayer is that we would be a generous people, not to get something. However, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but generous so we can just be a blessing to other people. Why? Because the motive of our heart is to be a blessing. I tell you, I want to be motivated to bless others. I, I think it's a good, if you believe it, can you say amen this morning? I mean, blessed to be a blessing to whom much is given, much is required. As you've received, freely give. Another, another thing, this is not a thing, this is a person that should motivate us, is the Holy Spirit. Gideon is in a wine press. <laughs> and God says, hey, I need you to take out this army of 300,000. He said, you don't understand. He said, my family are the, are the weakest clan in the world. In the whole world. And, and this is basically what he's saying. And I'm pretty much the loser, and I'm not trying to use harsh language... I'm the loser in that family. In other words, literally, I'm in this wine press, God, I'm the biggest loser in the world. I mean, that's not great. You're not having a great day. You don't want to be a loser at all. But the biggest loser in the whole wide world, something, you're all getting compassionate. How can you say that? This is what he said. And then the angel, and, then, and the word of God came to him, mighty man of valor. Yeah, that's right. No, biggest loser. <laughs> TBL. That's funny. That's good. It's a good one. Write that down for me, Livia. I need that. So he, said, he, he, said, he says, go and take out this army. Gideon goes with an army of 300 men, but he wasn't convinced until the Bible says in Judges. I love this. It's one of my favorite passages. Judges 6.34, it says, in the King Jimmy, it says, the Holy Ghost possessed Gideon. He was possessed by the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, where the Holy Ghost comes on you, I know, I know every message I have to just, remind you today when the power of the Holy Ghost is in your life, when the, when, the, when, the, when the third person of the Godhead, when the Spirit of God gets involved, He'll motivate you to take nations for the glory of God. Man, He'll get in your spirit. There's no greater motivator than the lightning power of God. There is no greater motivator than dunamis power from heaven, that supernatural anointing from God that pushes you, that flicks that switch called faith and inspires you to be all that God's called you to be. I pray that we would be a people possessed by the Holy Spirit, totally taken over, totally taken over by the power and the presence of God in the name of Jesus. If you believe it, can you say amen? Another thing that should motivate us is the cause of Christ. Paul wrote many times in his writings, he'd often say a statement, he would say, for this cause. And I want to just show you a couple of them here. In the, firstly, in the book of First Thessalonians, he said that you would walk, walk, that you would walk worthy of God who has called you under his kingdom and glory for this cause also thank God. 
we, God, without ceasing, because you've received the word of God, which you've heard from us. You've received it not as the word of men, but as it is truth, the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. For this cause, for him, in this case, it was the preaching of the gospel. Then if you read in Ephesians chapter 3, he says in verse 14, he says, For this cause... I bow my knees under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and know the love of Jesus, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now under him who... I know I'm yelling, but I'm pumped about this. Now under him who is able to do exceeding. Somebody say exceeding. He says abundantly, say abundantly, above. He says exceeding, abundant, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us under him be glory in the church. Paul says, for this cause, I bow my knee. What cause causes you and I to bow our knee? Sometimes it's got to be a problem. Sometimes the enemy's got to be coming against us or there's got to be tragedy for us to bow our knee. I pray that we would bow our knee because of the cause of Christ. That that we'd be motivated by Jesus, by, by his word, by his spirit, by his leading. That just the very nature of our relationship with God would cause us to step into a realm of faith and see the victory of God at hand in our heart. For this cause, man, this is exciting. For this cause. What's the cause? The cause of the kingdom of God. The cause of building the church and the gates of hell not prevailing against. The cause of seeing people born again and washed in the blood of Jesus snatched out of the hands of Satan and placed into the hands of a living God from death to life, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. For this cause. What's the cause? You know the thing that scares me more than people with wrong motives is people with no motives. I'd rather just be motivated and be a bit crazy than just be a Christian that has no motivation at all. Even God said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. Lukewarm. Let's not be lukewarm. Let's be motivated to see something happen. And I can't work that up in you. It comes with pressing into God, pressing into his presence, worshiping God when you don't feel like it, coming into the house of God and seeing God establish and work something in your heart by his spirit for this cause. Another thing that should motivate us is increase. Now, this is where this seems so countercultural with what I'm talking about right now, increase. Now, I want to have a look at this because the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 22, you don't need to turn there. This is King James. He says, a good man leaveth or leaves an inheritance, listen to this, to his children's children. Doesn't mean mum and dad, you bypass the kids. Because that would be very mean. <laughs> Leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Now, some of you are motivated by the fact that you want to build a life, and build wealth, and build a home, build something for your kids and a legacy for your kids to come. Can I tell you, that's not a wrong motive. When the Bible says a good man 
leaves an inheritance for his children. Can I talk to you today that some of you are going through university and you go, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Have I made the right decision? Yeah, you have, because what you're doing right now is you're setting yourself up to leave an inheritance to your children and, and, and your children's children. For me, my wife and I, we've invested in stuff. We've, we've, and we've not done any kind of funky investment or anything like that. We're not trying to buy gold from, from Nigeria that's going to come through by midnight on Wednesday, but we've invested 50 grand through Western Union in order to get that. We're not doing anything like that. We haven't had someone from Facebook tell us about a great investment, and then we've given them our credit card details. I'm talking about just solid putting money into a property, investing in that kind of a way. The point that I'm trying to make is I don't feel any kind of sense that there's wrong in my life because I'm doing those things because the Bible says a good man does that. But he warns earlier on, and I love it in the New Living Translation, Proverbs 13, 11, he says, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. This is what the Bible says. For me, and I, I believe the Bible is so clear, if a man doesn't work, neither, neither should he eat. I mean, that's not great, because I like eating. I hate working. But I love eating enough that it motivates me to work, see? Makes sense. It's a good system. We've we got to understand that as the people of God, it's not a wrong motive for dads or mums to say, I want to bring provision into, into my home and into my family. I want, to, I want to bring blessing into my world. I want to see the hand of God. Now, if our motive is for wealth for ourselves I don't believe that's necessarily consistent with what the Bible says but if it's to live beyond ourselves, that's great the Bible says in many different places talking about finance talking about wealth talking about all those things God's, God's absolutely cool with us being blessed but he says in the book of Deuteronomy he says don't forget that it's him who gives us the power to make wealth the power to prosper as long as our motives are ultimately to honour him and to bless God. It's okay to say, God, I, wanna, I don't want to live in the cycle. Maybe you've come from poverty. You've come from challenge. And you feel like you want to break loose out of that in your life. Can I tell you, church, I don't want you to feel bad about it. Go after it in the name of Jesus. But just make sure you're still a conduit for God's blessing and God's favor in your heart and in your life. I, I pray that you're motivated to do the will of God, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to see the kingdom of God expanded today and in our world. I'm going to close with this story. In 2 Kings 7, there's four lepers sitting outside of a city. And they, they really thought that they were either going to die or they were going to see some victory. And I'm going to read one passage and then I'll close this service. It says here in 2 Kings 7, you don't need to turn there, verse 3. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. They said, why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here and we'll starve if we go back in the city. So we might as well go and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So that evening they went out of the camp of the Arameans, but no one was there for the Lord had caused the whole army of Aram to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. 
The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried. So they panicked. They fled the night, abandoning their tents, their horses, their donkeys, everything else. They fled for their lives. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after the other, eating, drinking wine, carrying out silver, gold, clothing, and, and hiding it. Finally, they said to each other, that is not right. This is wonderful news. They aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until the morning, some terrible calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. They went back to the city. They told the gatekeepers what had happened. They'd gone out to the Aramean camp. No one was there. The horse and the donkeys were, were tethered and the tents were all in order. And there was not a single person around. And the gatekeepers shouted the news to the people in the palace. Now, I don't have too much time other than to say that Israel receives a great victory. You know... It is widely accepted by most commentaries and theologians that one of those four men was Gehazi and the other three were his sons. It's amazing how even though he'd had wrong motives and even though he'd got himself into a pickle because he'd had wrong motives, the power of God gave an opportunity to turn that around. And so he's sitting there one day Maybe he was sick and tired of being in prison for maybe getting it wrong. And he said, you know what? Why am I going to sit here waiting to die? And the Bible says that there's four lepers, four, four men. And I'm not even trying to be rude, who probably didn't even have a full set of toes each. Still their steps, still their steps sounded like the clashing of an army. It sounded like the steps of horses. Why? Why? Because when you step out in faith, with a God motive in your heart, your steps may be frail, but he takes a step with you. And your little step might be a little pitter-patter, but it's a boom, boom, boom. And God delivers and turns things around by the grace of God. I want to tell you today, you shouldn't sit there waiting to die. And a lot of you do that. A lot of Christians do that. We sit there going, yeah, we're just past time. There's nothing left for me. It's time to get back up and realize for every step you take, for every step you take, God's amplifying those steps. And he wants to bring victory and blessing in your life. If you believe it, say amen. If you believe it, give God a shout of praise here this morning. Let's all bow in prayer. I'm done. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody say the Lord is good. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Before I make an invitation for people to accept Jesus, this is what I'd love you to do. If you're a believer and you love Jesus, would you, rather than just sitting there quietly, I'd like you to pray. Pray for a spirit of conviction. The Spirit of God to get a hold of people's hearts. If you can pray just softly, but pray in the Holy Ghost. So I want, I want to talk to people about their eternity. And I also want to pray that there would be an atmosphere in this place for people who are lost to find Jesus. And sometimes I, I feel like I'm putting out the net. I need you to help as well. We're going to pray and believe God. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're in this room today and you're away from God. And you'd say, Dave, I need to get my heart right with God. Whether it's a, a sin issue, whether it's a, a distance between you and God issue, whether it's the fire's gone out and you just feel like you're away from Him. Today, I want to ask you this question. Are you right with Jesus? Is, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? If you were to pass from this life, what would happen? Where, where would you go? Where would you spend eternity? I, I don't want to manipulate or do anything, but these are real questions that need real answers. And I guess today I've just come to ask you, what's the condition of your heart? Where you at with God? And my head's about and eyes are closed. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but I'd love to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer. And it's a prayer of invitation for Jesus to come into your world. I'd love you to pray it with me. Uh, I'd love you to pray it out loud. And I'm going to ask our church folk if they would do the same thing. Uh, because I want you to feel at home. I don't want you to feel like you're the only one in the room. And I'm sure there's a few. And so I'd love you to pray. I don't want to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Let's all pray, church. And especially those that feel that, that you want to respond to this, to this invitation. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven. I come to you right now 
in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, it says in your word, which cannot lie, that if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on a cross for me and that he rose again from the dead, I shall be saved. And so right now, Lord Jesus, I confess, I believe, and I receive you now as my Lord and my Savior. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you wash me clean by your precious blood? I give you my life right now. I ask you to take my life, forgive me, and touch my life with your presence. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. If you pray that prayer, this is what I'm going to ask you to do while heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'd love it if you could quickly slip up your hands so I can see who prayed that.